It's DIY, do-it-yourself profit from ERP. So the secrets behind profit from ERP, how do we do it? Well, we've collected the winning methodology from over 400 ERP implementations over the years. From our first ERP project where the company that, quote, totally embraced change, unquote, had half the staff quit the first week because change wasn't what they were expecting, all the way to the on-demand manufacturer who paid for their ERP system many times over within the first three months. There's lessons to be learned from all of them. I'm Gene Hammonds, Practice Director for Profit from ERP and host of ER Podcast. Today, we're going to give you a step-by-step checklist of the steps you should take to profit from ERP on your own. It's a checklist. We're calling it the ER Planner. We'll tell you how to download the template and exactly how to follow each step on your road to profit from ERP as you select and implement an ERP system on your own. Now, the disclaimer, we can tell you the steps and give you the whole podcast full of coaching. And you might say, well, Gene, if you tell everybody all the secrets, why would anyone hire you as an ERP selection consultant in the future? Your secrets are already out of the bag. Well, here's the thing. If you follow these steps, you will do just as well, probably better than I did on my very first ERP project some 25 years and 400 plus projects ago. But you will do better than 95% of the companies who go about selecting ERP as if it were a capital purchasing effort. But you know, things happen in ERP projects. Things you, I, the software vendors, things nobody anticipated. Crazy, unrealistic deadlines, massive underestimation of how much effort an ERP project demands, massive under-budgeting. And then there's twists and turns. Say your business model has a little twist that similar businesses just don't do. And this little twist is what differentiates you and makes you cost less or have better service or better quality. And there's no ERP product on the market that anticipates your secret sauce. Crazy things happen, and that's when our expertise really shines. And that's why companies hire us to consult during the entire process. And I'm afraid that's not quite in any checklist. But we hear from many companies all the time, usually smaller firms who don't have much budget for consultants and even less budget for software. And if this sounds like you, this podcast and the ER Planner are perfect for you. They're both free, the ER Podcast and the ER Planner. And it'll give you an important leg up and put you ahead of the game. Even if you're a smaller business, these are the same steps we'd recommend to a global multinational company looking for new ERP. Now, of course, there's more detail instead of one guy with a clipboard walking around your office in a small environment. At a, at a larger company, it's a team of business analysts, software architects, project planners, but it's the same proven methodology that's worked now and hundreds of times before. Of course, the do-it-yourself version is not going to totally revolutionize your business like a full-blown digital transformation and mobile cloud company-wide connectivity. But hey, at least it'll get you on the road to growth. And in a couple of years after your company has implemented its first ERP and grown some more, you'll be in the market for that full-blown digital transformation and you'll be back with the budget to really take things stratospheric with profit from ERP. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Ide Bailey Technology Consulting. If you've been listening to the podcast for any time now, you know that an ERP project is bigger than a plug-and-play software implementation. There's planning, business analysis, business consulting, project valuation, and all that happens up front. 
managing the actual implementation project really reworks how your company does business. Can you think of anything more critical? When it's done right, it means huge returns for your company for years to come, greater efficiencies and better productivity. And with all this at stake, you really need to work with top talent. And Ide Bailey Technology Consulting has been NetSuite Partner of the Year for several years running, and they won the designation again this year. Definitely a top five NetSuite Global Consulting Partner. We work with a lot of technology partners and a lot of ERP programs. But when it comes to NetSuite, Ide Bailey is unmatched at how they approach and deliver an implementation project. And why you'd think working with the top talent is expensive, we found our clients actually save money working with Ide Bailey. You know, cost overruns are the norm in the ERP industry. Over 70% of our Ide Bailey projects have come in under budget. Really. The profit from ERP team does not, cannot have a failed implementation. And that's why we trust Ide Bailey with NetSuite projects, both large and small. There's a million things to go wrong in an ERP project, but working with Ide Bailey is just not one of the things that goes wrong. NetSuite doesn't absolutely fit every company everywhere. But when NetSuite is the right ERP, Ide Bailey is the right partner. If NetSuite is the direction you're going, you need to turn to Ide Bailey. Give us a call and we'll connect you or check their website out. Ide Bailey, that's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Welcome back to today's ER podcast. I'm your host, Gene Hammonds, Practice Director for Profit from ERP. Just a little backstory. My early career was as a turnaround specialist and a consultant, and I started seeing all my clients' productivity gains through large software projects to help companies become more efficient and profitable. This was in the late 90s. I finished an MBA at Arizona State University, and we were one of the first MBA cohorts to both study and graduate in the internet era. It was an exciting time. There was the dot-com boom going on and, and Y2K, if you remember that. I ended up joining the Epicor channel, and uh, they sold the product to Sage, one of their products, and, and so became a, uh, joined a Sage reseller, followed by Ross Enterprise, and uh, then a lot of us went over to Lawson, which would become Infor. And along the way, ended up working in the Microsoft stack of products, uh, some SAP jobs, Oracle, and... Then I became an independent ERP consultant back in 2011, where we worked with everything, but specialized in cloud ERP, beginning with NetSuite, but also Intact, Acumatica, and many others. I've been privileged enough to work on global, multinational, huge ERP projects. I've also worked with small startups, mom-and-pop shops, regional manufacturers. I can hardly walk through a Costco without seeing a lot of old friends' products on the shelves or barely turn on the TV and not see a farmer group I've helped. Through all of this, the amazing thing I learned was you can take two seemingly identical businesses, same industry, same size. Both can purchase the same ERP software. Both can use the same ERP implementation team. And one will be wildly successful. And the other, well, they'll say things are going okay. And they'll say things are much better with the new ERP. But they really aren't lighting things on fire, so to speak. And meanwhile, that first company is now super profitable and productivity skyrocketing, which drives more efficiencies. And now they're making great strides with the software. And next year, they're at the annual ERP Users Convention, giving seminars and presentations on how to best use ERP. And the question is why? Why one and not the other? 
So I started studying what the top adopters were doing and started quantifying how they did things. And what I found out is the difference is generally within the internal ERP team, people you have in your office that are going to work on this project, how they do things, how they structure things, the methodology that they use, and that can make all the difference. Now, are all of my clients top performers? No, but the average profit from ERP client is so much higher than the go-it-alone companies with an undefined process. And, you know, I'm also going to naturally attract the clients that strive to succeed. That's why they hire consultants in the first place. I understand that. But by setting and measuring goals, we do quantify our results, which is always a better story than saying, well, things are much better now, I guess. Anyway, let's dive in and take a look at what the things the top companies do. The ERP planner. I'll tell you how to get your own free spreadsheet template download. Basically, just send an email to me, gh at genehammonds.com. Include your name, phone number, company info. Tell us a little bit about what you're using for accounting software now, what industry you're in. We'll email you a copy of the spreadsheet. In the meantime, Let's jump right in and we'll tell you what top companies do when they select and implement ERP software. Step one, bring in outside ERP experience. I can hear you now saying, wait, I thought this was a DIY project. Well, it is, but I'm not gonna let you go into it blind and the top companies do bring in outside ERP experience. Here's the thing. You might have somebody on staff that went through an ERP project a few years ago. Well. That's one project, and you know I have no idea what methodology that company used, if they even did anything other than just asking the purchasing manager to do the selection process. The thing is, selecting software to run your business is different than a capital expenditure acquisition. It's not a desk. It's not office furniture. It's what you base your productivity and efficiency on for the next five to seven years. And somebody is basing this on an ERP project from a few years ago. A few years ago is two generations of technology in the past. Okay, right now it's podcast date 2019, and you have a guy on staff that went through a Sage ERP project in 2013. Not to pick on Sage, insert any common ERP vendor. The math is the same. A few years ago, a company was looking at software in 2013. They were evaluating software that was probably 10 years old at the time. Yeah, there was updates and new versions released and new features added, but it was basically 10-year-old software. So you got one guy on your staff who went through a state-of-the-art minus 10 years ERP project five years ago. There's been a lot of development in ERP in the meantime. Mergers, acquisitions, the cloud. Heck, 15-year-old software was pre-internet. Never mind pre-cloud. So know that you have a knowledge deficit going here and your purchasing manager isn't the answer. Find out who you can talk to for advice, even if it's only for a short engagement or a few conference call. Talk to others in your industry. Check out the trade mags. And of course, we're going to say keep listening to the ER podcast. That takes us to step two, project planning. You're going to need a project plan detailing all the steps you're going to do and all the phases you'll go through to get where you need to be. Small company? Well, figure it's going to take you four to six months to go through a selection process and get to the final ERP licensing purchase. And then plan for another four to five months after you've purchased to do an implementation if this is a cloud solution or six to nine months if it's traditional ERP. Even if it's hosted via cloud, traditional ERP takes a lot longer to implement. So at this point, you're likely a year away from go live. 
most companies get a start in, say, May, June, and they think they're going to be able to go live January 1 the following year. That's a real push. It can be done, but that's a real push. Here's the thing. Get a project plan. It tells you what you need to do and by when. Now, the ER Planner template will have some date calculations for you based on how long it takes our clients in past engagements generally to get things done. And your takeaway, looking at the overall plan, you could probably project that you need to have software demos in week three of month two. So today, you contact the software companies and you say to them, we're going to hold demos in six weeks. That's week three of month two. And now you're going to get some pushback. Some software vendors like to jockey so that they're the first one showing and you compare everything else to their example. Or they want to be the last one so that their software is the last thing you see. Whatever. But just understand that if you allow them to push beyond week three of month two, your project goes into a whole pattern until they can, quote, free some resources up to schedule your demo. Schedule far in advance, and if a vendor can't make that schedule, find another ERP partner that will commit to it. Also, step two project planning is where you set your committees. You're going to need an executive committee, your CEO, CFO, CIO, CTO, the guys and gals that will make the final decisions and sign the checks. Then you're going to need an ERP steering committee. You're going to need a representative from every department in the building. And here's a huge pitfall. You're likely replacing QuickBooks, which was only used by accounting. So the controllers, accounting managers, and analysts are easy picks for the steering committee. But ERP is not an accounting package. You need operations, supply chain, inventory, production, customer service. Everyone has to be at that table. Go back to episode three of this podcast and listen to the QuickBooks to ERP Common Mistakes podcast, and you'll hear why that's important. And below your steering committee, you're going to have a user committee that's actual users of the software. Now, small company, you might not have every person on this list in your company. You might have someone who plays many different roles here, and some people will overlap duties and be on more than one committee. So plan to keep your meetings short, but plan to schedule them at a regular basis. So we've got an executive committee, a steering committee, a user committee. Each is more granular and down in the detail, but all report back up and keep everyone on the same page. So schedule those regular meetings and update methods. And that takes us to step three, requirements. Now, we're still not talking about software. We're talking about what we need and focusing on our business requirements. No software, not yet. Again, you're at a disadvantage because you don't have someone who knows modern ERP and it's harder to know which questions to ask. But let's focus on what you currently do. It's time to take a fresh look at your internal operations from start to finish, top to bottom, every department. Here's where you find out that that quick report that finance thought might be useful is really ignored. Nobody's even reading it anymore. And it's taken those warehouse guys a day and a half each week to put it together. You'd never realize that unless you're talking to all of your departments, both of those departments to figure out what happens downstream of the upstream request. So now we're going to go to every department and you're going to ask questions like, what's a huge time waster? What do you really need in terms of system improvements? Also ask what works well in the current system. There has to be something that's working well. And it's a requirement that the new software has to do this well as well. Does that make sense? You don't want to skip something just because nobody's complaining about it. You also say, what would you like to see in the new system? And some form of, you know, you said filling out these POs and walking around the building to get seven signatures were taking too much of your time. Do a follow-up. Say, if you didn't have to do that, 
What other productive work could you be doing instead? That's very important later on. Now, if you had time and the inclination, this is where you would map processes. Step A, someone fills out a requisition. Step B, a manager approves it. Step C, so on and so on. Visio is a great tool to make this graphical. In large ERP projects, the process mapping may take a team of four or five and spend a few months documenting processes. Smaller companies don't get that detailed, but think about it. If there's a process your business does constantly, if it's your manufacturing or your services delivery or, or quotes for prospective customers, if you're doing something constantly and repeatedly, at least take the time to whiteboard those steps and take a photo of it. A tiny improvement in this process that you repeat a few thousand times a year, maybe a hundred thousand times, a tiny improvement can be very important to your future business. Also, when we're going department by department, we're going to come across forms, spreadsheets, and we're going to come across reports. Start taking a copy of each of those and put it into a file or a binder. ERP is going to replace a lot of those, and, and if we're making key business decisions on some value in a manual report, we want to make sure that that future ERP report counts those same chickens or, or whatever that report was doing. Which takes us to step four, business case. Here's where we look at all of our requirements and start to rank and cost each one of them. Now, while an ERP consultant will have experience in this area, say one of your requirements is the need to control inventory, he'll have a similar past client who dropped their inventory from $6 million to $4 million, and so he knows that the cost of carrying that excess $2 million is the interest cost of $2 million, plus the warehouse space, warehouse staff to move it around, shrink that's going to happen, and outdating. And an ERP consultant would add up all those costs and quickly come back with, we're going to save $60,000 a year if we do this. But you don't do that every day. Still, you can ballpark some of these issues. Remember we talked about that mapping process? You can start to see that if you do a million of those transactions and you eliminate two steps by automation, well, start doing the math from there. What you're looking for is a discussion. Some will call it an argument, but let's, let's keep it safe and call it a discussion. And let's get the committee in the room and come up with some value for each of these requirements. Now, Bob in accounting may be going on very loudly about his requirement for journal entries to have automatic batch reversing. And when you dig in, when you talk further to Bob, you find out he only has to try and reverse a batch entry once or twice a year. Still, it's a pain and it would be a nice feature to have. But just because Bob did that last week and it's fresh in his mind, that doesn't make that requirement more important than other things that happen every single day, even if Bob is very vocal and very loud about it. So we're going to find savings in inventory, automation and accounting. We're going to say if we continue to grow the company 20% per year with the current system and 10 people in accounting, that means we're going to need 20% more staff to handle 20% more growth. And we can avoid those costs. And maybe the new ERP systems mean we'll only have to hire 10% more. So there's a salary of uh, $50,000 every year that goes into the calculation. And you start adding up all of these requirements. And soon you see that this new system might save you $100,000 a year, or it might be $3 million over five years, whatever. This is your cost revenue model. It looks at the costs. It looks at the potential revenue. It looks at the economic costs, and it adds it up. And this at least gives us some goals for the project. 
They might be realistic. They might be pie in the sky, but we have a target to shoot for now. We're going to refine this as we go along through the demo process and everything else. Once we start seeing the software demos, we'll at least know what is important to look for. And maybe they're going to show us some things that we didn't even think of that we can add later. And budget. Now and only now do we start to think in terms of budget. True story. Called into a company 20 years ago. Owner told us he had $10,000 to spend on accounting software and not one penny more. We did a walkthrough of his plant. We had a small Sage accounting package that would fit his budget and work pretty well. Almost as an afterthought, as we were wrapping up the tour, we passed the door. We said, hey, what's, what's in here? It was a phone room. It had 50 seats. And that's where they took orders from their multi-level marketing sales force. Now, by increasing his software budget from $10,000 to $50,000, we could offer him online web-based order entry. He wouldn't need 50 phone reps. Maybe he'd need five. Spending 40000 more than he budgeted one time was infinitely better than employing 45 phone reps at about 40000 each. The math just made a lot more sense. And setting your budget before you know what you're trying to accomplish misses out on these types of things. So that's what you're trying to do here. You're going to take your cost revenue model, and if this software saves you 100000 a year, then a $50,000 software budget means it's going to pay for itself in six months. Pretty good investment. Now, we get pretty detailed with these analyses. It's, it's part of our business. And you, you won't see savings every day, day one of go live, and it can get fairly detailed and cash flow analysis and payback. But generally, if a software project is going to pay for itself within 18 months, we consider it a go decision. Longer than that, well, that's good to know as well. Just know where you're going. But at least you're defining the economic reasons behind your budget decision. Again, ballpark, high level, lots of assumptions, but this will help drive your project. And now we move to step five, engaging the vendors. Based on the activities you started in step one of outside expertise and step two planning, you should be starting to get an idea of the types of software common in your industry. What similar vendors and clients are using, if their business model fits yours, that type of thing. What you're looking for is ERP that works in your industry with companies of your size. Say Cisco Foods is one of your vendors and they use SAP. Well, that's fine for a $5 billion nationwide company, but SAP is complete overkill for your emerging $50 million company. You want to match industry. You want to match to company size. Again, we have trusted vendors and implementation teams that we use time and time again for all the different ERP products. You don't have that, but you need to understand why you're picking the vendors that you are picking and, and why they belong in this particular engagement. And what you'll do next is put together a package of information on your business and what you're doing along with an RFP and send it out to several vendors. And we call that Vendor Information Pack 1. What's in there? Well, that list of requirements we put together and we've been working on. Some narrative information about your company, the size, the industry, and what you're trying to accomplish with the project. And the RFP, Request for Proposal. Let's talk about this really briefly. You know, you can go and download an 800-question RFP from the Internet that's about ERP. I know this because I've seen it hundreds of times. Clients do this again and again, and they send it off to the software companies. Software companies have also seen that same template a hundred of times. 
they have a stock reply answering this 800 question RFP. So you didn't write it. They won't read it. This response will be so thick and cumbersome. Your team won't get through all of it. It's a total waste of everybody's time. We use the 20 question RFP. What's really important to this particular client? Why will they buy one software package over another ERP? What's really key? We try to boil it down to 20 questions. We'll probably not get there, but you might end up with 40 or so really relevant things to focus on. You also want to know what technology is this ERP using? Uh, have your IT guys write those questions. You'll want to know the financial stability of the software publisher and the implementation team. How old is this ERP? How new is this team? How many times have they implemented this ERP package? Just don't waste six weeks compiling huge RFPs that aren't focused on what's critical. You're also going to be asking for preliminary pricing estimates in Vendor Pack 1, but don't be too alarmed by what comes back. It's really too early to understand how to price the software exactly for your company, but we need to know is this $60,000, $600,000, or $6 million. And then we're going to start with an overview demo, an hour-long web demo based solely on the vendor information pack one that you sent to the vendors. What they're going to show you won't much look like your company, and it's not custom prepared for your data, but it will give you some kind of feel how the ERP vendor approaches the market. From the overview demos, you're likely to be able to narrow down your ERP choices to two or three, four maybe. Invite your shortlist to meet with you on site to provide a fuller demo. They'll have their own demo methodology, and that's great to go through that. But you're going to also provide them with a day-in-the-life demo script of your business. Tracking order to cash, make the plan, customer service and delivery, whatever the processes are key to your business. Your demo script should contain some of your products, pricing, operational methodology, everything you need for them to show you your process demonstrated in their software. And throughout this whole demo process, you're grading by that requirements list. Most companies identify 25 to 50 key requirements. We'll typically go as deep as 100 to 125 for our clients. But whatever the number, when you're watching that overview demo and one of your requirements is matching invoices to PO and they show you how to match a PO to an invoice, scratch that requirement off the list. You're going to end up with a different requirements list for each vendor that you look at. But what you're doing is you're eliminating what you know works so that you can concentrate on what's missing. Okay, You eliminate the requirements as you go along through the process. After the overview demo, the full demo, the day in the life demo, you should be down to just a very few requirements still on your list that haven't been checked off. And these should be followed up with web demos addressing the specific issues. We call it the open issues follow-up. Through it all, you're learning more and more about a potential ERP software and partner. And now we're down to our almost last stage, confirmation. I know you saw what you thought you saw in the demo. But more companies than not will say they didn't end up with what they thought they were getting when they saw the demo. So let's confirm that what we saw is what we actually saw. Day one, you thought certain requirements were very key. You thought they were very important. You quickly found out that everybody does those things. Any one of the five ERP contenders would satisfy what you thought were the most important requirements. So those are scratched off the list. But as you developed your cost revenue model, as you cut down your RFP to 20 questions, and as the different vendors were showing you their strengths and hiding their weaknesses, 
you realize it pretty much comes down to a couple of things and maybe maybe it's supply chain or whatever your case it came down to but for the sake of this discussion let's say this time you've come to the realization that this is all about supply chain it's what we do it's where we can cut costs it's how we make money it's key it's your final issue or one of your few final issues so now what you're saying to the ERP vendors is we want to talk to whoever is best at using your ERP for supply chain. Who's the tops at supply chain efficiency? A couple of things will happen. There may be another customer across the country that's really good. They're using the same ERP software, but it's another implementation team. That's not optimal, but it's not a deal killer necessarily. Uh, or they may not be able to give you a good supply chain reference, and that's a huge red flag. What it means is the best supply chain companies in the nation all came to a different decision using some other ERP, and you need to know why. What you want to do is you want to find out who's the absolute best at using this ERP for supply chain, and you want to do a site visit. You want to meet the company who's knocking it lights out. Now, here, the ERP company can't take you to a direct competitor, but say you sell candles, they can find you probably a, a home goods supply chain reference. You sell to the same end customers, and you have enough in common to be a great reference. Take the time to make the road trip, because the next five years of your business productivity depends upon it. And, you know, also, let's talk about training. And I know we're running long here, but there's a lot to do. And seriously, each one of these steps, I generally do like an hour-long presentation to the team to get all the details covered. We start each stage getting everyone on the same page, what we're doing, why we're doing it, what our expected outcomes are. But that's training for the selection process. What I want to talk about here is training for implementation and ERP use. All right. ERP is all about the efficiencies and productivities of your business for years to come, worth literally millions to all but the very smallest of businesses. And even for small businesses, if you ever want it to get into the millions, ERP is what's going to get you there. And in the software industry, there's a sales process. It's called solution selling. Very popular concept. In a nutshell, it, it says to the software sales guy, if you can position your software as a solution to all the customer's issues, he will buy it from you. However, software is not a solution. Software is a toolkit. Thinking of software as a solution is similar to a farmer buying a hoe and thinking all of the weeds in his field are now gone. Sure, the hoe is an important part of getting rid of the weeds, but it's going to take a little bit more work than that. So training. Training starts before implementation, and it continues forever. The people on your staff who learn how to make the software work are the people who drive those efficiencies, who, who are involved in those productivities, who find better ways to do things, and generally become very important people in the company. So the day the contracts are signed for new ERP, training needs to begin and identifying who these key people are. When you implement software, you're going to be making decisions on how to configure this software, and you need to know the impact of your decisions and the downstream effects of the decisions that you're making. So you need a training plan starting today. Are there videos and training materials online for the ERP you selected? Are there some YouTube videos? Are there some workbooks? Are there training classes? Your people need to be on this as soon as possible. You're also going to get training in the implementation process. And, and you know, data entry is, is 
generally uploaded through Excel or CSV files, but manually entering last month's transactions is a great training exercise for your folks. It takes a while, but by the end, they're getting really fast at using the software, and it's really worth it. There's formal end-user training at the end of the implementation right before go-live, and it's important. Uh, just like a race car driver should have had driver's ed in high school. It's not all he needs to know, but it's kind of a good start. And there are regular training classes offered by the software companies. Plan to have someone on your staff at these classes a couple of times a year. There's local user groups for most ERP software. Plan to be an active participant there. There's a national user group conference for most ERP software annually. You should consider this mandatory attendance. Look, you're spending considerable dollars purchasing and implementing ERP. Your staff's going to spend endless hours on implementation, learning to this point, and getting proficient with the software. Shouldn't you take the last step to ensure you're getting the maximum efficiency, productivity, and return out of your ERP? I can tell you that's what the most successful companies do and the less successful companies don't. But of course, it's up to you. And our last stage is your final negotiations to purchase your software. So if this were a capital purchasing project for office desks and you had competing vendors vying for the business, it'd be relatively easy to compare the desks, material, design, how many drawers they have, quality. You could easily compare on price. Software is just really not like that. There are no two identical ERP systems. By now, you probably have a pretty good grasp on this. You know that you really like ERPA better than ERPB. ERPA really does a much better job on supply chain and reports. But if we're talking about a $50,000 licensing price difference, that might matter. So you can negotiate to a point with all software vendors. Software pricing is notoriously flexible and discounts, well, there's year-end discounts, there's, there's quarter-end discounts, there's month-end discounts. If you promise to buy today, there's an end-of-day discount. <laughs> it just depends. But go back to your cost revenue model. If we're talking about a software package that will increase your bottom line revenues $5 million over three years, are we really concerned about another $10,000 off the price? Is that really what we want to focus on? Remember, we've been justifying this project by the savings we're going to make in the supply chain area. And in a few weeks, the burden switches from them proving they can do it to you proving to your boss that you can actually save those expenses in supply chain. Do you want to be doing that with your second choice software that you bought because it was $10,000 less than what you really wanted? Look, there's a lot to an ERP software selection, a lot of work to do in your business and a lot of work to do with outside vendors, new software and potential partners. But the payoffs can be high if... And that's a big if you follow the profit from ERP methodology. Remember, these are not my genius rantings. This is not something I came up with. These are things that I've seen the successful companies do. And then I've tested them by having subsequent client companies follow the exact methodology and watching them succeed too. And like I said, we're a 40-minute podcast into this. Typically, we're delivering the same content in seven one-hour-long blocks in the weekly selection committee status meeting as part of our ongoing ERP evaluation project. We're setting the stage for what's going to happen the next couple of weeks in the project. Of course, there's a lot more detail that we don't have time for today. But 
if you follow this plan, you too can profit from ERP, or at least get a lot closer to that profit than you would have otherwise. And as your business grows, you're looking at rolling out your next ERP to offices all across the Midwest or wherever you live, then give us a call. We'll bring in the team and we'll help you do it right. Profit from ERP. That's what we're all about. Remember, to get a copy of the ER Planner template that goes along with this podcast, email me at gh at genehammonds.com. Give me your company name, your contact info, what software you're on now, what industry you're in, and anything else you'd like to include. And I'll get you the ER Planner template as fast as I can email it there. And hey, even if you're already in the middle of your ERP evaluation, use the checklist to make sure you've not skipped a step. And you too will be on the road to profit from ERP. I'm your ER podcast host, Gene Hammonds, wishing you a profitable day. And don't forget to download the podcast from our website or subscribe on Apple iTunes or your favorite podcast site. Have a great day.